G'day, welcome to Age Abuse and Justice, where each episode I summarise an elder abuse case to demonstrate what elder abuse looks like and how the law deals with it. My name is Tanya Chapman, and the case we're looking at today deals with a form of elder abuse that often goes unseen, neglect. Neglect is where someone is responsible for the care of an older person, whether officially or unofficially, and they fail to provide the older person with the basic necessities such as food, shelter or medical care, or if they prevent someone else from providing them. If the neglect results in the older person's death, the carer may be charged with manslaughter. That is what happened in the case we're looking at today. Warning, this case involves disturbing details, audience discretion is advised. In the middle of winter, on the 23rd of July 2010, Janet Lois McCosdy was left to spend the night in an uninsulated shipping container. At the time, she was 77 years old and weighed only 40 kilos. She was frail and could not walk. She had dementia and had diminished mental capacity. She had flu-like symptoms and was hallucinating. Overnight, the temperature in the shipping container dropped below minus 1 degree Celsius. Janet did not survive the night. At the time, Janet was in the care of her daughter, Jazzy England, and her son-in-law, Michael England. It was the Englands who had decided that Janet would spend the night in the shipping container and were later charged with her death. Background Janet McCosdy was described as a dignified and refined lady with an interest in art, culture and travel. She lived a simple life, was careful with her money, and kept a neat and tidy home. She loved her grandchildren. She was comfortable financially, living from her age pension, as well as having modest investments. In June 2009, Janet was living alone in a unit in New Norfolk, Tasmania, where she had a fall and fractured her spine. After the fall, she was assessed as requiring high-level permanent care, but was released into the care of her daughter Jazzy. She moved in with Jazzy, her husband Michael, and their three children. Jazzy was a registered nurse, and Michael was a disability support worker, so it would seem that they both had the skills needed to look after Janet. In June 2010, Jazzy took her mother Janet to see her GP and discussed palliative care. The doctor advised that Janet needed the same level of care as a two- to three-year-old child. Jazzy and Michael England had purchased a property at Mount Lloyd, which was about 30 minutes' drive from New Norfolk. It was a dilapidated four-bedroom hut, but they had plans to renovate it. There was a shipping container on the property adjacent to the main hut. The Anglins had put in windows and connected power to the container by extension cord. The shipping container wasn't sealed, but the children had spent a few winter nights there with the benefit of warm bedclothes and a heater. Before the renovations were completed, however, their lease was coming to an end and they decided to move to the Mount Lloyd property. On 22nd July 2010, the whole family moved to the property. They planned to spend the next few days moving their furniture and belongings from the rental property into the Mount Lloyd hut. On the first night, everyone slept in the main hut. The next day it was decided that because it was difficult to move around all the boxes and belongings, that Janet and two of the children would spend the night in the shipping container. So the next night, on the 23rd of July, Janet was carried into the shipping container. She was put to bed in her nighty dressing gown and socks. She had warm bed coverings and a heater was turned on. Jazzy checked on her mother around 10pm. The next morning, the children got up and told their parents that Janet was still sleeping. Just before 8am, Jazzy and one of her sons left for an appointment in Hobart. 
At the same time, Michael took the other two children back to the rental property to get more of their furniture. It wasn't until Michael got back to the house around 9.30am that he checked on Janet and found that she was dead. Michael phoned his wife, who got back to the property about an hour later. She didn't ring for an ambulance because she was embarrassed about the state of the property. Instead, she washed and dressed her mother in track pants, jacket, scarf, beanie and Ugg boots. They put her in the car with a blanket over her lap and took her to New Norfolk Hospital. The forensic pathologist conducted an autopsy shortly after her death and stated that the main cause of death was hypothermia. The Anglins told nursing staff that the whole family had gone for an outing at Mountfield National Park and that about 10 minutes after they got to the park, they were unable to wake Janet, so they drove the children home and brought Janet to the hospital. At about 3pm, the police were called to the hospital and were told the same story. Jazzy and Michael even completed affidavits giving the same story about the trip to the National Park. Initial police investigations revealed inconsistencies with the version of events given by the Anklins, so they spoke to the children. Then they confronted Jazzy, who came clean. Police went to the Mount Lloyd property and inspected it. They found that the main hut was in poor condition and very cluttered. There was no flushing toilet, only a chemical toilet that was in a standalone shed outside the hut and in a very dirty state. There was also a shower basin and bath without running water. The shipping container was behind the hut. The walls were steel with no lining. It had four windows and a door, poorly installed and with inch-wide gaps around them. An expert confirmed that the temperature inside the shipping container that night would have been between minus 1 and 2.9 degrees Celsius. The autopsy found that Janet had contusions on her knees, shins and elbows, characteristic of injuries often seen in individuals suffering from the delirium of hypothermia, which may cause them to crawl around or undertake a burrowing type action. The injuries may have been caused by impact with the metal bed frame or exposed sides of the shipping container while she was in a state of hypothermic delirium. Manslaughter In April 2014, after a four-year investigation, the Anglins were charged with manslaughter. The indictment alleged that they had failed to provide Janet with adequate shelter and had thereby caused her death. The Anglins pleaded guilty. Their legal counsel submitted that it was good of them to plead guilty because if the case had gone to trial, it was not certain that they would have been found guilty. It would be a difficult case to prove that their actions amounted to gross negligence and directly caused Janet's death. One of the difficulties with proving that neglect was the cause of death of an older person is that the elderly are more likely to have pre-existing serious medical conditions that can contribute to or also be responsible for the older person's death. The recorded cause of death for Janet was hypothermia with significant contributing factors being the dementia of the Alzheimer's type, frailty of advanced age and severe atherosclerotic and hypertensive cardiovascular disease. The Supreme Court agreed that in this case a guilty verdict was not a sure thing. The court was provided with a victim impact statement from Justin Mack, Janet's son. The court noted that the wording of the statement was extreme and suggested that there was something sinister to the matter. However, the court noted that Justin had not had a relationship with his mother for some years before her death and was ill-informed about the circumstances around her death. Crown Prosecutor Darrell Coates didn't argue that the Anglins had intended to cause harm to Janet when they put her in the shipping container. Instead, he said, quote, Had they stopped and thought about it like they should have, 
they would have known of the serious risk and consequences that would have occurred. End quote. The couple's lawyer, Tamara Jago, said it was not a case of abuse, just gross misjudgment. She said, quote, For all but one night, Mr. and Mrs. England cared for and attended to her needs with the utmost care, dignity, and respect. She said, On this one night, they made an exceptionally bad decision. End quote. The court found that the Anglins had a duty to care for Janet and that their failure to provide adequate care resulted in her death. To quote Justice Tennant, It is accepted by the Crown that neither of you intended to kill Mrs. McCosdy and that her death resulted from an admission to perform a duty tending to the preservation of human life which amounted to culpable negligence. At the time of her death, Mrs. McCosdy was, due to her age, sickness and unsound mind, in your care. You each had a duty to provide her with the necessaries in life. In particular, you knew that Mrs. McCosty was frail, that she was not eating properly and that her mobility was very limited. She was also suffering from dementia and was hallucinating. In such circumstances, you placed her in a shipping container in freezing conditions, albeit for one night. She was unable to fend for herself or even have the ability to remove herself from the environment for many hours. That amounted to gross negligence on the part of each of you, which caused death. Had you considered your actions, you would have known, indeed anyone would have known, of the potential serious consequences of placing Mrs. McCosty in the shipping container on this night. End quote. However, despite this gross negligence, Justice Tennant said that an actual imprisonment was not an appropriate outcome. Both Jazzy Anglin and Michael Anglin received a two-year suspended sentence. Inquest. Seven years after Janet's death, from 2017 to 2018, there was a coronial inquest into her death. Side note, very importantly, the inquest cannot reach a conclusion that is contrary to the results of the criminal proceedings. That would undermine the criminal law process and the inquest is not an appeal court. The inquest could not, as the coroner noted, find that the Anglins had deliberately caused Janet's death because that would go against what was upheld in the criminal trial. So you may ask, why bother with an inquest then? Well, the inquest is able to look at the wider surrounding circumstances and take into account a lot of information and facts that weren't relevant or admissible in the criminal proceedings. And in doing so, the coroner considers what we can learn from this case, what we can do better to prevent this happening again. The inquest primarily examined whether the Anglins had provided adequate care to Janet, not just on that particular night, but in the three years leading up to her death, and whether the lack of adequate care contributed to her death. It also looked at whether the Anglins had withheld care intentionally and depleted Janet's money for personal use. Janet's progressively worsening dementia, which came with a decline in mental and physical functioning, made her completely dependent on her daughter and her daughter's family for all of her needs. Lack of care. The evidence before the coroner, Olivia McTaggart, seemed to indicate that this negligence was not a one-off occasion that since Janet had moved to Tasmania in October 2007, they had failed to provide her with adequate care and her cognitive state and physical health deteriorated because of that failure. The coroner found that from late 2007, Janet's condition was severe and required significant care and that Jazzy knew about this. 
However, Janet was not taking medication for her serious thyroid condition and from October 2008 stopped seeing her GP. Janet was taken to hospital in 2009 after she slipped on some stairs and fractured her vertebrae. The ACAT, Age Care Assessment Team, assessment was completed which found that she needed 24-hour care. Jazzy signed the ACAT report because Janet didn't have the capacity to sign it. However, Jazzy told staff she would manage her mother at home. After the hospital, Janet was to stay in respite care for 12 weeks. Jazzy said that her mother was distressed staying in the respite home and took Janet out after only five weeks. Medical professionals involved in Janet's care had expressed their concerns that Janet was being cared for in the family home without outside assistance. This caused the coroner to question how Janet's family was able to isolate her from all possible forms of assistance and why more wasn't done by those medical professionals who did have contact with her. In November 2009, Janet saw Dr. Fernando. During the appointment, Jazzy told the doctor she was having difficulties caring for her mother. The doctor provided advice about palliative care and gave her information about the services that were available and the details of a number of supports that were available to assist with caring for Janet at home. The doctor also recommended returning Janet to nursing care. Dr. Fernando stated that in her 25 years of practice, Janet was the most severely demented patient she had ever seen being cared for in the home, and yet it was also the only family she had ever encountered that did not want any assistance. However, she could not force the family to accept support services. The coroner concluded that the Anglins refused to utilise the services available to help with Janet's care because they wished to avoid outside scrutiny. From late 2008, Janet appeared to be cut off. She was no longer seeing her GP, her financial advisor was unable to contact her, and her son Justin, who had in previous years been in frequent contact, was unable to contact her. So they couldn't know that Janet wasn't getting the care she needed. If outside services had been engaged to help with Janet's care, they might have been able to identify that something was wrong and take steps before it was too late. Financial abuse. Marie Musket, who had been Janet's financial advisor for several years, gave evidence at the inquest. They had become friends and Marie had gotten to know Janet quite well. She described Janet as a frugal and gullible person who was timid as a mouse. She was also extremely careful with her money, always concerned about having enough money for the rest of her life. Even in her personal diaries, she would record every small expenditure, even down to the cost of a bus trip. The diaries also recorded when she gave money to her daughter. Prior to the trip to Tasmania in 2007, Janet had told Marie that she felt that she had to provide financial assistance to her daughter if she wanted to keep seeing her grandchildren. According to Marie, Janet was scared of her son-in-law and didn't think he liked her. Jazzy denied this and instead said that Marie had misappropriated Janet's money. However, there was no evidence to support this allegation, and the coroner found Marie to be a credible and accurate witness. In contrast, the coroner found that the evidence of Jazzy and Michael lacked credibility, was inconsistent with other evidence, and was at times fanciful and unashamedly tailored to suit their own interest. In 2002, Janet had sold her unit in Balgala in Sydney and purchased a less expensive unit in DY. She told Marie that she didn't want to leave Balgala, but that she needed to give her daughter $50,000 so that she could continue to see the grandchildren. The next year, Janet gave her daughter another $50,000 to go towards the purchase of a home. 
In 2007, Janet Hand wrote her own will, appointing Marie as her executor and leaving her estate 40% to her daughter and 60% to her son, Justin. The reason she gave her daughter less was because of the financial assistance she had already given her. By early 2008, by which time she was living in Tasmania, her ability to manage her affairs had deteriorated significantly. By this time, she had second-stage dementia and was severely incapacitated in her cognitive function and daily living. Marie said that Janet had told her she wanted to return to Sydney and didn't want to live at the Mount Lloyd property, saying that it was cold, not nice, and far away. Jazzy had asked Marie to try to discourage Janet from leaving Tasmania and said that they were building a granny flat with central heating on the Mount Lloyd property. During 2008, Janet's account balances rapidly diminished. There was a lot of signed checks for large amounts payable to the Anglins, large cash withdrawals and transfers of large sums to the Anglins bank account. There were payments for purchases that were obviously not for Janet, such as paying for the family to go to Luna Park in Melbourne, $5,000 on skin treatments for Jazzy, a Kawasaki motorcycle for Michael, and three quad bikes for the children. Between January 2008 and June 2009, just over $200,000 was withdrawn from Janet's bank accounts. I mentioned that there were a lot of checks, 220 checks in total. A handwriting expert looked at 70 of the checks and determined that 61 of them to the total of $138,000, had not been signed by Janet. Instead, it was suggested that they were signed by Jazzy. The bank must have been questioning the odd account activity, because in July 2008, a letter was sent to the bank, supposedly from Janet, asking them not to question her about the account transactions. The coroner determined that it was actually Jazzy who wrote the letter, in order to deflect the bank's attention from the high level of spending. There was no evidence that any of the money was used for renovating the Mount Lloyd property, except for purchasing the shipping container and a barn for 9500 The barn was not on the property at the time of Janet's death, and Michael said that it had been stolen. I mention this last thing mainly because how do you steal a barn? Jazzy argued that her mother permitted them to use this money as it was her inheritance and she should have the immediate benefit of it for herself and her family. She said that Janet had the mental capacity to give them this permission. But the evidence before the coroner showed that Jazzy did not have the capacity to make any financial decisions, including granting her daughter free reign to help herself to her money. In November, Janet signed a transfer of her new Norfolk unit to Jazzy. The law clerk who witnessed Janet's signature to the transfer didn't take any steps to confirm Janet's capacity to make the transaction and was in fact a childhood friend of Jazzy. The inquest noted that, quote, By the end of 2008, Mrs. McCosdy was therefore living by herself, but solely reliant upon Mrs. England and her family for all her needs. Her health conditions were not being monitored or treated. Her memory and thought processes were severely impaired by dementia. She did not have the ability to make rational decisions regarding her money. Her account balances were decreasing, and she no longer owned her own property. She had no access to independent services that may have provided her with assistance. End quote. Following her discharge from respite care in August 2009, an authority to operate was signed with Commonwealth Bank that authorised Jazzy to operate her mother's bank accounts. Janet would not have had the capacity to understand the authority to operate it to sign it. After that, the withdrawals from the Commonwealth Bank accounts increased significantly. In late 2009, Janet's old unit was sold 
and the proceeds of 144000 was deposited into Michael's bank account. To quote the inquest, When asked by counsel in evidence how he spent the money, he would not give any answer. At one stage he speculated that it may have been for building materials for the Mount Lloyd property. When it was put to him that there were no building materials located at the property, he embarked upon a fanciful narrative about valuable building materials being stolen from his property and an equally fanciful account of why he did not call the police upon discovery of the thefts. End quote. When Jersey was asked how she spent the money she had taken from her mother, she also had a difficult time explaining where it all went. She did say that she had kept $80,000 in cash in an envelope taped under the kitchen cabinet, but that this money had been stolen about two weeks after her mother died. The coroner found this account as unbelievable as Michael's stolen building materials. In total, the Anglin spent approximately 350000 of Janet's money, about three quarters of her total assets, at a time when she was completely dependent on them and did not have capacity to make informed decisions regarding her money. Inquest Conclusion For years leading up to her death, Janet was not able to care for herself or make financial decisions. She was completely and solely reliant on Jazzy and Michael Anglin for all of her needs. The care they provided was inadequate for her high needs and resulted in a worsening of her dementia and physical condition. In the year leading up to her death, she lost 15 kilos, coming to weigh just 37 kilos. This contributed to her susceptibility to hypothermia. Michael, as a disability support worker, and Jazzy, a trained nurse, should have been fully aware of Janet's medical and support needs and how to provide for her. They had also been advised by different medical professionals over the years of services available to help with Janet's care, including the recommendation for Janet to move into residential care. However, they refused all services. While the coroner noted that there were benefits to Janet living with the family, she said, quote, her arrival in Tasmania can be viewed against a background of emotional control exerted over her by Mrs. England for many years previously, primarily involving threats to prevent her from seeing the grandchildren. End quote. The coroner found that the Anglins had refused to engage in support and care services for Janet because they didn't want their actions being scrutinised, that they had isolated Janet in order to exploit her financially. She went on to say, quote, the evidence clearly allows me to conclude that the decision not to place Mrs. McCosty into residential care and the decision not to have any outside services involved with her care were influenced by the fact that she was a source of money. End quote. The coroner concluded, and I quote, Mrs. McCosty should not have died how and when she did. She deserved proper care, dignity, and respect in her last years of life and in her death. Sadly, that was lacking in many respects on the part of those responsible for providing it. End quote. One of the purposes of the inquest is to make recommendations. The coroner found this to be a case of elder abuse and recommended that an organisation be set up in Tasmania with the power and resources to deal with complaints, investigations, education and oversight of elder abuse. This was only a recommendation and so far has not been acted on. I much prefer the findings of the inquest to the manslaughter trial because I feel that the inquest was able to look at all the circumstances, the actions the Anglins had taken over those last few years and to get a better idea of what their intentions were. They had to know at the very least that Janet wouldn't be comfortable sleeping in the shipping container that night and that it wasn't healthy for her. 
Given their careers and training, they should have known that there was a chance she would die. The reason I say this is that it's pretty common knowledge that older people are more sensitive to the cold, especially an older person who is frail and underweight. Anyone who has ever stepped into a nursing home knows that they keep them pretty toasty. I have a friend in a nursing home and when I visit her in winter, I wear a singlet because I know it's a sauna in her room. So even I, with no training, would not have thought the shipping container was adequate. I also question why they made Janet sleep in the shipping container and not themselves. If the problem was space because of all the boxes and belongings everywhere, wouldn't you have left Janet in the hut and slept in the shipping container yourself? Or, crazy idea, why not store all the boxes and belongings in the container? The main thing I want to note about this case is that the medical professionals were concerned, the financial counsellor was concerned, and her son was concerned, but none of them knew what they could do about it. The coroner makes a good recommendation. It would be great to have an organisation with the power and the resources to a. Educate. To make medical and financial professionals and family members aware of what they can do if they have concerns. B. To keep a record of older persons potentially at risk of abuse, especially those who are in the care of a family member and otherwise isolated from society. C. To check up on those people and investigate any suspicious or negligent activities by carers. And finally, D. To remove the older person from dangerous situations like this one, where they are seriously neglected and exploited. I think the criminal law struggles with cases of neglect because you don't want people acting recklessly or intentionally negligent, and there needs to be a deterrent and a punishment for those who do. But on the other hand, you don't want to punish someone who is just doing their best in a difficult and complex role, usually without any training and little support, who, for whatever reason, isn't able to provide enough care. That was the case of the State of Tasmania versus Jazzy England and Michael England. The case citation is provided in the notes. If you have any thoughts on this case or recommendation of cases for me to cover, I'd love to hear them. You can email them to elderservice at legalaid.newsouthwales.gov.au. A big thank you from the Elder Abuse Service for listening in. Remember, if you have identified or if you are at risk of elder abuse, you can call the helpline on 1800 353 374 or if you are on the New South Wales Central Coast, you can contact our service on 024324 We want this to be a safe space for listeners. If this case has triggered something or if you have found it disturbing, you may want to reach out for some support yourself. You can contact Beyond Blue on 1300 224 636 or Lifeline on 131114. 